Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, and on this episode, we're going to talk about do this and live. It is one of my very favorite topics. This is episode 51. I'm not with Mike Grimes today in our posh Pactum studio, but I'm not alone. I'm with some of the Pactum verse posse I'm looking at right now, a whole room of Pactum friends, thankful for that. And I'm on campus of Westminster Seminary, California. Why, you might be wondering, well, to interview one of my friends, one of my friends about one of my very favorite topics, something he knows a lot about, a very important topic. Our guest is a minister in the United Reformed Churches in North America, professor of church history and historical theology at Westminster Seminary, California. He has authored and edited numerous books. I'll only mention two right now, Recovering the Reformed Confession and Covenant Justification and Pastoral Ministry. He's the host of the Heidelcast and the Heidel blog. Our guest today is Scott Clark. Hi, Scott, and welcome to the Pactum. I am happy to be here. So, Scott, what have have you been working on lately, project-wise? I know you've been busy. I am trying desperately uh, to finish a commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. Oh, you are? Yeah. When's that supposed to be done? I know you're uh, not supposed to ask questions like that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm about three years or so past my deadline, so I've blown that deadline badly. Target Uh, audience, what kind of readership? uh, Pastors, seminary students, elders, um, interested lay people, college students. Um, So if you're you're looking for a serious commentary that puts the Heidelberg Catechism in its 16th century context and medieval context, patristic context, um, and, and then really tries to explain it and apply it. You know, so there's even some practice in there. Excellent. Right? We're Excellent. talking about practice. We know you know how to use that no, word. Not a game. Not right? a game. We, not we a know game. that for sure. So I also want to congratulate you before we get into the do this and live emphasis for the show. Uh, congratulate you on finishing up a long, great run with office hours. Oh, thank you. How long, how many years did you do office hours as the host? You know, I'm not, I can't, it, right at this exact moment, I can't say more than 12. Okay. But I, I think something like that. I didn't, I didn't think they had podcasts 12 years ago. It was ago. very early. We, okay. we honestly, yeah, it's one of the, uh, it was, there were some podcasts in the world, uh-huh. but there were not a ton. You did have a great run. And uh, uh-huh. I think that's the first time I ever was introduced to you uh, listening to the show. Maybe Pactum listeners might find it interesting. I didn't know Scott was from Nebraska. I didn't know anything about him, uh, even though I'd listened to him for a long, long time. I was introduced to the seminary and then eventually Scott Clark because R.C. Sproul recommended Westminster Seminary, California. Mm. He said, if you want to learn more about imputation, the active obedience of Christ, justification, sola fide, all of these great, great doctrines, uh, go to Westminster Seminary, California. And then I had a class with him. I had a class with Mike Horton. And I was learning so much, Scott, and it was so helpful to understand and also to understand that maybe a lot of dispensational brethren kind of folks Mm -hmm. denied these kinds of doctrines. And I had no idea. And so I bought every book Mike Horton ever wrote. I kid you (laughs) not. That's not not a small investment. I bought them all. And then I thought, what else do I need to learn from that seminary? And so I started listening to Office Hours. I listened to Mm -hmm. every single episode. So thank you. You had a big influence in my life. And then I found out you liked Runza. (laughs) <laughs> now out, you have to explain what that is. I, I, that I found that it, out you were from Nebraska, and so you'd lived in <laughs> Omaha and Lincoln, and all of a sudden we eat at the same kind of places, and uh, we've been friends for some time now, and I'm really grateful for you and for your influence in my life and helping me when I need help theologically. So thank you very much, Scott. I'm grateful for you. 
So I love Omaha Bible Church and, and recommend it to everybody who asks. Do you remember the time when you came one Sunday and I greeted you at the door with your wife and uh, I knew you were coming? And then the next week, I didn't know you were there. And I said something. I was respectful, but something about a theologian being here last week and intimidating and all this kind of stuff. And uh, little did I know, after the service, you patted me on the back and said, Hi, Pat. How you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was fine. It was fine. I, oh. I've been in services where people didn't know I was there and, and said other things. So, Well, yeah, th- there is that. <laughs> no, that was fine. It, it, uh, it's always very edifying and, and encouraging, and, and the people have always been very gracious. And, and um, so I, I love it there. Great. Appreciate it. So do this and live today. If you're wondering what that means, do this and live. You're listening to the right podcast and the right episode. If you already know what do this and live means, I think you're also listening to the right podcast and the right episode. And I'm so thankful that we're talking to Scott Clark today about this matter. Do this and live. My first question for you, Scott, is where does that statement come from? Do this and live. Where is that from? Is it in the New Testament? Is it, is it in the Old Testament? What's the origin of do this and live? Well, I go to uh, Luke ten twenty eight. Good, because that's in my notes. So I'm the, thankful that the, you're going there. So that's the first place that uh, that you can go. Okay. So, so this is the the lawyer uh, who already probably thinks in terms of, of works, right? If you ever talk to a lawyer, um, I have I uh, because I'm involved in or, in an organization now. We have a corporate lawyer. Okay. So that's been a life changing experience. <laughs> So I've uh, I've been helped by lawyers before in the past, and uh, but I've never actually employed one. I think they're helpful sometimes, think, and they're, yes. they're hurtful at other times. <laughs> yes. Well, I now know the uh, what the expression "time is money" okay. means. I know, I know what that means. So uh, a, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, and he said, "Teacher, what shall I do?" Just from the ESV to e- inherit eternal life, and uh, Jesus said. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And then the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Ah, there it is. Do this and you will live. And we've shortened it to say, do this and live. But do this and you will live. That's where it comes from. It comes from Luke chapter 10. It comes from Jesus. Uh, it's also used in, in the, the Old Testament. In the Old right? Testament. So yep. Le- uh, Leviticus 18.5. Yep. And in Leviticus 18.5, God says to his people, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. There it is. And so, and we have some good insight as to what that means because Jesus obviously would know what it means better than anyone else. It's also used in Romans chapter 10, verse 5. The person who does the commandments shall live by them, right? In yep. Romans 7, Paul said, I, I, I thought that by doing the commandments, I could have life by them. So it's the same concept, same, same concept. idea. Do and this and live. He, yeah. So he thought, um, and he, he's confessing that the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is holy. The, God, the law reflects God's nature. Uh, it, it, it's perfect. So the, the problem is never, ever with the law of God. Okay. So, so with that in mind, let's move on to another question. I have about 10 or so questions uh, as we go. So the next question then is we see it in the Bible. We hear it from Jesus. What does it mean? 
to do this and live, do this and live in what sense? Do this and have a happy life, a fulfilled <laughs> life. As long as you do this, you'll be prosperous. Uh, no, it means obey the law perfectly or go to hell. Oh, okay. And suffer eternally uh, without remission. So I noticed you drew special attention to verse 25 back in Luke 10. It is about eternal life. Yeah. So it's not about a fulfilled life, although no. if you could do this and live, you would have a fulfilled life. But the question is not about that, right? Well, or you or you get nailed to a cross. Jesus did this, and he got nailed to a cross. I see what you're saying. He's, so, he's the unique one who he's, did this. He's the, he's the unique one. So, yep. I mean, even doing all of this doesn't necessarily lead to blessedness in this life. It's I at, see. Least, yes. least, at least after the fall. I see. Yep. yep. Now, before the fall, it was different. Right in my mind, and in and in our tradition, that's where that go, it goes back to. Um, God came to Adam before the fall and said, "You can eat from any of the trees in the garden, except for this one. Um, you can you can eat from the tree of life, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, Genesis two seventeen, you shall surely die." And, right. and that was basically that was the Ten Commandments in one sentence. What uh, God was saying to uh, Adam, as the representative of, of all humanity, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And, do do and this and live. You'll gain eternal life do for, this the, and live. for those it, you represent, for yourself. That's right. If you obey this law, you will enter into a state of blessedness with me, you and everyone whom you represent. Yep. Which fits Romans chapter 5. And, and, and 7 in a way. So uh, Adam had the potential within him to do it. And had he obeyed had he chosen to obey and then they were given a test and they failed the test perfect all, all they had to do was not perfect obey they had they had it within them they were not fallen they were not sinful they were not corrupt and mysteriously uh, they chose to uh, believe a lie to to break the law to steal to covet um, to commit idolatry so do this and live. We, we really can't stress the importance, right? Uh, enough. You know, you, it's absolutely basic. If you don't understand that principle, then you, you really fundamentally don't understand the Bible. Excellent. Because yep. it's, it's uh, theologically considered that principle is half, in a sense, it's half the Bible. And Scott, the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is I know you have strong convictions about this matter because you need to, because it's so important. And so as people are listening to this, I, I would like them to hear us say over and over again, I'll try to do my part in doing that. Do this and live, do yeah. this and live. If you hear that statement, whether it's directly like that or similar to that, do this and live. We have to understand what that means, or we don't understand the Bible. We don't understand salvation. We don't understand our sin. We can't stress it enough how important this matter is. Correct? Amen. If you don't, and when I didn't, I'll just speak personally. Um, you know, there was a way in which I could articulate this theoretically, but I did not get this principle, for example, relative to preaching for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it, I just... I didn't. Um, and so I would uh, preach a gospel sermon. I remember preaching a whole series. I preached through the entire book of Exodus very closely, you know, carefully, grammatically, historically, redemptive historically, whole nine yards. And at the end of more than one of those sermons, I remember basically coming back to the people after, after having said, the Lord graciously delivered you out of Egypt, and then coming back to them and in effect at the end of the sermon saying, do this and live. Um, so as a pastor, uh, not recognizing the difference between do this and live, and Christ has done this for you, 
And therefore, you live in light of that, right? Not making that distinction. I kept putting my, my people uh, unintentionally back under the, the do this and live principle. Uh-huh. And it, it was making them miserable. It was definitely making me miserable. Right. And it, it was very frustrating. And I didn't uh, understand uh, what I was doing. It took 10 years for me to find out what I was doing. And, and I'll give credit. It was Mike Horton. Uh, in a summer conference here on this campus, about seven yards behind us in the in the student lounge, which we didn't have the chapel back then, and Mike stood up and gave a 20-minute talk on the difference between law and gospel relative to preaching. So that's related to this whole thing, the law and gospel, because the, the, that's really do this and live is law. Yep, yeah, absolutely. When, when, you, when you're talking about do this and live, you're talking about law, and when you say Christ is done for you, you're talking about gospel. Outstanding. So if you don't make that distinction, Martin Luther said, if you can't make that distinction— you don't understand the Bible. If you can make that distinction, you're a theologian. If you can't make it, you're not a theologian. I've, I've heard you make this confession before, so I appreciate it. We, we theoretically have the special thing on the pactum called pactum absolvum. No, we don't actually, so I can't absolve you, <laughs> but I do appreciate your honesty. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now let's talk about theological categories, uh, the, not, not theological categories, but let's talk about other points of theology that are relevant to this. Let's talk about do this and live as it relates to the covenant of works. Let's talk about it as it relates to justification, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, because these things are related, correct? Well, they are. Uh, the, the righteousness which is imputed to us is Christ's doing so that we can live. So righteousness means adherence to law, Christ? Yeah. Christ a- uh, actively suffered his whole life. So we, t- we distinguish conceptually, not chronologically, but good, conceptually good. between two aspects of Christ's obedience, his active obedience and his suffering obedience. Passive in this case is really Latin. It's, it's almost I, a transliteration. I told you you couldn't use any Latin. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. It just comes out. I, it's, the, it's the one Pentecostal aspect in me is, okay. is the, okay. Latin, the Latin comes out from time to time. So it, um, uh, it, it's the case that, uh, the, when we say passive, right, we're talking about suffering. We're not talking about necessarily things being done to Jesus. It's code for, it's theological code for his suffering obedience. Yes. Isn't it so, something like passim? It's passio, passera. I told um, you not to talk about Latin. Patior. So <laughs> he asks me Latin questions and then tells me that. Um, so uh, Jesus, all his life, Heidelberg 37 says that he, he suffered all his life and especially at the end of his life on the cross. Even death on a cross, Even Philippians the, 2. And it's all for us. Yep. He did it all for us. He was born under the law. So uh, for us, uh, born of a woman, under the law, for us, he didn't have to qualify himself. That's a really important point that people have uh, muddled a lot over the years. There's a theory that says Jesus had to qualify himself and then so that that part of his obedience was, was for himself. And then just at the very end, that's for us. Okay. That's a mistake. Don't say that and, because it's not true. Uh, what is true is that all of what all of what he did was in our place as our substitute. So all his obedience was substitutionary, not just his death. His death is certainly substitutionary, and if you deny that, I think you you've attacked the gospel. Yes. Yep. Um, but uh, but all of his obedience is for us, and the, the Christian needs to know that that everything Jesus did is credited. And so that, uh, you know, I keep going back to the Heidelberg Catechism in part because that's what I've been working on, but that's what sort of shapes my, uh, th- my rhetoric. This is where I get, I get my language, my categories for understanding Scripture. And Heidelberg 60 says, it is as if we had done everything that Jesus did for us. Beautifully put. And so all of that is credited. And by the way, it's credited to us even though we continue to sin 
And and uh, even to go back to Heidelberg 60, even though I am all prone always to all evil. So even so, even though I still struggle with sin, and that gets us back to, to Romans 7, I take Paul in Romans 7 after he discusses the law, so about verse 7 and following to the end of the, the chapter, uh, he's describing himself, and he's saying, this is my experience uh, as a Christian, and I, I want to keep the law, and I don't keep the law, and sometimes I despair, and I, and I say, what will become of me? And then at the end, he has this marvelous doxology, right? That, that's the struggle of the Christian. And the reason that he's able to struggle with sin is because Christ's righteousness is credited to him, which is why he says what he says in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, um, we've been justified, and, and everything Jesus did is credited to us. And that's why we struggle with sin, not in order to be accepted or even in order to be saved, but because we have been accepted and because we have been saved and we are being saved and we are being sanctified and we shall finally be vindicated. Amen. Amen. So we have Jesus perfectly obeying because Jesus did this so that we might live, so that we might have life, correct? Am I getting, am I getting it right? You're this getting is, it right. This is Romans 5.18. Uh, this is the do this and live principle. He does it. Sometimes we call it the covenant of works, yeah. right? Because salvation is by doing this, right? There are two, yeah, two covenants in the Bible that, that cover all of Scripture, and they're not just historical, they're theological. Uh, the first is the covenant of works before the fall, and the second is the covenant of grace after the fall. God came to, and, I, and, and most of us would say it was God the Son who came to Adam and Eve after the fall, and uh, he said, what are you people doing? That's a paraphrase. What are you people doing? And, and um, that, that was God the Son. And it was God the Son who said that the, the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent is going to strike his heel. Right? The Son said that to Adam about what, what he himself was going to do when he became incarnate. Guaranteed going to happen. He guaranteed. So there's the, there's the, 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 the first public announcement of the covenant of grace— and all through the history of the Old Testament, the covenant of grace comes again and again in various forms and finally comes to fruition, fulfillment, realization in, uh, in Christ. And, um, and the covenant of grace always says, uh, I will do this for you in, in one way or another. So when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2.13, the doers of the yeah. law will be justified— yeah, that that is, means do more, try harder, because <laughs> only the doers of the law will be justified. Or yeah. am I, do I have that wrong? You do have that wrong. Um, no, that is such a great passage. I love that um, because it, uh, it, it, again, there again, Paul is articulating this covenant of works principle so clearly. Um, and, and by the way, this is the way virtually in the classical period, all of our uh, guys took Romans 2.13 this way. And read some new commentaries and you're going to be not enlightened. Oh, yeah, it's so discouraging. I, I use it as a litmus test to figure out if people really understand justification. Well, that's or not. right. Do they understand? Can they read a text and can they read the Bible? And Romans two thirteen really couldn't be very much clearer. For verse twelve, for all who have sinned outside of the law, meaning uh, not having heard the Torah, the the first five books of the Old Testament, will also perish uh, without the law. For all who have sinned under the Torah will be judged by the Torah. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And, and there's Paul articulating, again, this basic 
works principle, do this and live. This is not a promise to those who are united to Christ that if you cooperate sufficiently, listen, there are quote unquote reformed theologians who've said this. Scott, there are a lot of things I like about you. I like it that you like runs of sandwiches. I like it that you're from Nebraska. You're a Cornhusker fan. You've got a Cornhusker hat on right now, right? But I like this more about you. Because you understand Romans chapter two and have passion and conviction about it, so I've had thank I, you. I've listened to so many people give muddled explanations uh, of Paul because they don't understand the distinction between law and gospel. One of the curses that's been afflicted on on the, my people over the last seventy five years is is the ignorance and rejection of the distinction between law and gospel. Yep. So we have a, we have guys who think, well, that's a Lutheran thing, and if you think that, if you're listening to me, you're an idiot. With all due respect. <laughs> I think it's our number one episode, actually, and it was early on in the Pactum, and it was pretty slow and pretty dry, but I'm thankful that it's the number one listened to episode on Law and Gospel. So. It, it, it's, it's hugely important, and that's really all we're talking about. Paul is articulating the law here. He's not making a promise to, to believers who are united to Christ that, you know, and who have sufficient spirit-wrought sanctity that eventually they'll be accepted with God. Exactly. So, and by the way, there's no final salvation through works either. That's also nonsense. Just ab- stop saying that, please. And I'm talking to you, John Piper, because I know you listen to every episode of the Pact. There you go. We're actually going to get to that in a little bit. Okay. So we, we better hustle, though. You're going to you're going to be out late. Your wife's going to be worried, wondering where you are. <laughs> oh, t- the Heidel she, dog she is going to be she's extra not, spicy. Well, she might be, but the, the wife's not too worried about me. Okay, so why would anyone oppose this? The, this do this and live reality. Why would anyone oppose this? And we're on, just so you know, we're on about yeah. question number four of about ten. <laughs> um, yeah, any it's a he's a rookie. He still thinks he can get through all his questions. Um, <laughs> people oppose this for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, they just don't know about it. They've never heard of it. That's fair. And, and, and if somebody's listening and they don't know about it, we welcome them to listen. We're not trying to make fun of them. We're no, not trying to no, dog them. Pat, Pat will help you. There you go. Listen to Pat. He will help you. Uh, listen to the Heidelcast. I will help you. Uh, there are lots of places where you can get this figured out. Heidel, heidelblog.net, uh, lots of stuff there, sl- slash resources. We're going to promote your resources later. All right. Answer the question. So, <laughs> it's all there. Um, if So people don't know, and, and so they, they come to Scripture with, um, you know, out of ignorance, and, and they can't make sense of it, and they— other people are simply opposed to it. They think that if you say the kinds of things that you and I are saying, right. that um, it will lead to a lack of sanctification. That you you can't just tell people Jesus did it for you, and and as a consequence, you're being gradually uh, sanctified by uh, grace alone through faith alone. If you say that, that you you won't get the desired outcome. Yeah, um, and, you, and, and you may end up having assurance. Right, people. Well, there, who, people who don't like assurance definitely don't like it. There are people who who think that assurance is, you know, they're a little worried that if you if you have Rome certainly thinks that if you have if you have assurance now you're going to be lazy, you won't uh, be sufficiently sanctified, you won't mortify your sins sufficiently, and and you won't do what she tells you to do. She has a lot of extra rules that she wants to put you uh, under. Yes. So yes. there's all of that. Um, but I, there, I think there are a lot of people who are afraid that if you just if you tell people that justification is free, sanctification is free, and it results in good works, they think, well, I don't see how that works. And yep. so then, um, so, you know, it, it is a kind of rationalism that says, I know what I want, and, and the way you're telling me to get it is indirect, right? This is uh, I, the, the way I'm advocating is uh, very beautifully uh, described in a volume, the title of which is The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. We're fans. 
two, two, two episodes on it. So it's a, it, it's a wonderful book, and it will help you uh, get this, and uh, or The Marrow of Modern Divinity. That will also help you. But the people who don't like those books, uh, wanna, they want a straight line between your good works and your, your justification or your, your salvation because they want to put you on the hook and they want to put you back under, in our terms, the covenant of works in order to get you to be good. Instead of praising God for what he's provided in his perfect redemptive and, work on our and behalf. And trusting him. The, the sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our work. He uses us, but it's not our work. The Holy Spirit accomplishes sanctification in his people through the preaching of the gospel, and we would say the use of the holy sacraments. He gradually conforms us to Christ, and that's his business, and we have to be content to, to, uh, to uh, wait on him, to trust him, um, and not to try to outsmart him. I mean, yes, we want people to be sanctified. We want them to struggle with sin. And they, they must struggle with sin. And we want to see good fruit and, and, um, and good works. Uh, but as we say in Belgic Confession 24, you're, you're justified even before you do good works. It's, it's good trees that produce good fruit. Jesus did say something to that effect. And we want people to strive, but we want them to strive out of resting, right? Uh, yes. Rest in uh, Christ. Out of hope, out of confidence, out of trust, and not, and not out of um, an ungodly fear or not under a covenant of works. If you want to know what it looks like to strive, uh, you know, under a covenant of works, look at Paul before he's converted. Great point. Great point. Right? There's I, a guy seeking yeah acceptance with God through his obedience. And what did Paul say in Philippians 3 about that whole process? He, he summed it up in one word. And you're... Sc- Scubalon. There you go. You and I are from Nebraska. I, I learned to drive in a pasture in southwestern Kansas. And, uh, right, and I clean up the backyard with, occasionally. Right? So we know this what is a family is. show, so we're just we, going to yeah, kind of leave it at that. that is. Right? Yeah. So I'm afraid to ask a historian a question about history because... Who knows? Who knows how long you might be able to pontificate about <laughs> such things. Be, I'll be brief. So l- people are listening, no doubt, some, and thinking, do this and live. I've, I've not heard this before. It sounds maybe novel. Well, it's in the Bible. I mean, you're quoting scripture. Okay, fair point. We don't even need to get into the history of things. Well, I mean, it's worthwhile to get into history, but I don't want people to think, well, he's just making things up. No, the phrase is in the Bible. So the question is, what does it mean? So let's talk about Protestant history, Reformed theology, Mm. the history of Reformed theology. This is not a novel thing. This isn't a new thing to come up with. No, 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 no. All our writers... Um, talk about this principle, you know, either they don't always call it the covenant of works because we didn't start talking that way until about 1561. Okay. Uh, but the principle is there from the very beginning of the Reformation. Okay. So call it whatever you want to call it in yeah. a sense. Yeah. But the reality is there and it's taught and emphasized yeah. and with clarity. And there's no good reason not to call it a covenant of works, covenant of nature, covenant of life. Those are all the different ways. Covenant of law. We've we've called it all those things, and those are good ways of of describing this principle. And there's no good reason for not talking that way. But uh, what you know, maybe the the language of covenant is unfamiliar to you. And then I think, well, you don't read the Bible very much, do you? Because it's in the Bible a couple of hundred times. Think formal agreement, right? Sure. I mean, the, yeah. Um, so Adam had a formal agreement with God, right? There's a, a, a formal arrangement. He couldn't do whatever he wanted to do. He was under obligation. He had to do what God said. This is the covenant in my blood. There you go. I, I, it's, it's, even if you say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, it's in the New Testament right. too. Right. 
Let's talk about the practical nature of all of this a little bit. You've kind of already went there with your preaching and feeling convicted, but let's talk about the practical side of this. It's practical because of things like assurance, as you mentioned. Um, What about when we're reading our Bible? If you're reading at home, reading the Bible, how is it that you need to keep in mind there is this do the do this and live principle built into any text you're reading? Mm. And I have an example if you want one, but if you want to just speak in generalities first. William Perkins is a great Reformed theologian from the late 16th century and, and died in the very early 17th century. He's uh, sometimes called the father of English Puritanism and uh, he's an Anglican, so he's Episcopalian in his polity, but uh, he's a Protestant. He's a Luther reader. Uh, he's a Reformation guy. Is it the art of prophesying? Is art the of prophesying, okay. yeah, so it's the, which is the art of preaching. It was uh-huh. a homiletics book. His, all of his works now are in print. So I, I recommend uh, Perkins on Galatians, marvelous. It'll change your life. Um, so uh, the, the, true, uh, the true Catholic. Uh, anyway, the Reformed Catholic, another marvelous book. Um, uh, Perkins said when you're reading a, a text, you have to know... Uh, Basically, is this passage law or is it gospel? Theodore Beza said the biggest problem plaguing our, the, interpret, the reading of the Bible now and theology now is the inability of people to distinguish between law and gospel. And, so, and what we mean by that is, is this telling me I must obey yeah. perfectly? Is this law, gospel, or excuse me, is it law? Is this telling me to do this and live in principle? Yeah. So I'll say, oh, I can't, I didn't, I need to look outside of myself. That's right. Right. The law, so the purpose of the law, the first job of the law anyway, is to teach you the greatness of your sin and misery and to drive you to Christ. So you're, when you're reading a passage, you ask yourself, what's the purpose of this passage? Is it driving me to Christ? Is it promising me free salvation in Christ? Or is it instruction on how to live in light of what Christ has done for me? So we have these these uh, three uses of the law. So the first use is... Um, this driving to Christ use. The yes. second use is, the, is how we live in, in civil society. Don't steal, right? And the third use is how do I live uh, now that I am freely accepted by God in Christ? And, and uh, so I don't steal now because Christ has set me free. I don't, I don't have to steal anymore. I, I don't want to steal anymore because I've been redeemed. I, I don't want to be an idolater. I don't want to be a coveter. Uh, I don't want to be an adulterer. And um, and so the the law norms your, your Christian life. So I say that just so that people don't think, well, you people are you lazy, morally lazy, free grace people, and you don't have any place for the 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 law in the Christian life. And that's just nonsense. Of course we do. Yep. Okay. I have a text, and I'd like you to talk to me about whether or not it's law or gospel. So I think I saw this perhaps um, in your house on some kind of needlepoint crochet framed on the wall. (laughs) I kid. Uh, But I'm sure it's in some of our listeners' homes on a plaque or something like that. Uh, They say it's their life verse. How about this? He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Is that law or gospel? It's law. Um, Say what? It's law. Seriously? Yeah. So we, we, have, we have law verses hanging up in our, in our house. Is, yeah. is that okay? No, that's fine. You just have to understand what it is. The law is good and, and holy and just and right. And, and uh, in Christ, if you're united to Christ, who is your law keeper for you, who's your substitute, and you're not intending to, to uh, present yourself to God on the basis of your obedience, 
then this is fine. Now, if this is your life plan and this is how you plan to present yourself to God, you're in a lot of trouble. It, because it's really a do this and live kind it of text. It is a do this and live, right? This is what Yahweh requires. Um, that's the word there. That's the Lord's name. This is the covenant God. What does Yahweh require of you? Do justice. Well, uh, are you underpaying your employees? How's that going for you? How's that going for you? Are you underpaying your employees? Are you treating them well? Right? Um, are, you, are you loving your neighbor? Uh, did you, uh, you know, run a stop sign? Uh, did you pay your taxes or did you cut corners somewhere? Uh, so there's a C- I, just thinking about that, there's a CPA in the room. So, um, right, uh, do you love kindness? Have you walked humbly with, with your God? And, and, right, have you done that? Have you really hit that mark? Because the law said, cursed is everyone, Galatians 3.10. Paul quotes this. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Is it 27.26 or 26.27? I don't know. I have a block. I can never remember. It's Too either, much neutral sweet it's earlier 26, in my life. It's either 27 or 27, 26, but it's in there. Speaking of obeying the law today, Scott, you, I told we were texting back and forth. We were riding, riding, bicycling, cycling today. How were you texting me while you were bicycling? Uh, this smart kind of phone here. <laughs> I wonder and, what you and, were doing. And, yeah, and so I said we were in Elfin Forest, and uh, Scott said, oh, be careful the cars or something like that because they're known to drive 40 and 45 miles an hour and crazy. And Because so, it's, it's a lot of tight, windy turns in there. Scott, the funny thing is we were riding 40 miles an hour. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I, well, okay. I have seen more than one bicyclist on the side of the road. So it's like, yeah. a, 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 like a gazelle down on the, no, in, in, I, we in appreciated the that you were looking out for us, but it was just kind of funny. You that, were going faster yeah, than the cars. We, we were being lawbreakers. Perhaps I heard as a rumor. So cursed, I mean, I think the speed limit's 40 or 45, but just they, people want to hit you. So cursed, the, Galatians 3.10 says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything which is written in the book of the law. So you don't, it's, there's no trying, right? There's only doing. Right? I'm, I'm always going to go Yoda. <laughs> You're going to go Yoda. Yeah, going to go Yoda. There is no trying, right? There's, there's no trying, there's only doing, and there's no best effort, there's no, you know, partial credit, uh, either you did it or you didn't. And I'm telling you, if you're listening and you think, well, I'm not bad, you are deluded. You didn't do it. Jesus did it. And that's it. Okay. So let's talk about opponents. We yeah. talked about what kind of person wouldn't like this, but specifically, so the papists don't like it. They don't like assurance. They want to lower the law and make it somehow attainable uh, through some sort of sure. God helping us with grace to do it through grace and works. Well, but, I mean, yeah, they... Sort of. I mean, they, they, they have two different merit systems set up. So, it, But it is true. You, they, they do have a system of congruent merit where God imputes perfection to your best efforts. There you go. Which is obviously problematic. So we're lowering the standard like well, Paul yeah, talks there is about a te- in Romans 10. There, there is a tendency, yeah, to cheat and lower the standard and say, well, God doesn't really expect real absolute perfection. And that, that's simply not true. Jesus didn't die because God didn't accept uh, that the God accepts your best efforts. So big, big names that we might know, maybe in reform circles or evangelical circles of people who don't like to do this and live covenant of works, law gospel distinction. So we can, oh. so we can not buy their books or people, or people who recommend them. <laughs> How much trouble do you want me to get into? I've already, oh. I've already gone, uh, you know, okay. mentioned John Piper, but okay. So John Piper is on the list. Student of Dan Fuller. He wrote yeah. the intro to Dan Fuller's right. unity of the Bible and made fun of this kind of stuff Dan, in the intro. Daniel Fuller uh, rejected classical Protestant theology and Fuller set up a system of essentially justification through works. Um, and um, he rejected the distinction between law and gospel. 
Um, so he's a sort of ex-dispensationalist of some kind, uh, yeah. and um, and he turned to moralism as the as the consequence. And we see it coming out in some of the writings of John Piper. Yeah, so, they seem to have gotten better later on. Well, uh, but it's in, still in, around in some respects because uh, he's still teaching. Uh, oh, what's the um, future grace? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's future grace. So in future grace. Uh, and then in subsequent uh, sermons and, and talks and things, John has argued that uh, there are two stages. So what he did was several years ago, John embraced, uh, you know, justification by grace alone through faith alone on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Right. And, and Daniel was, was not happy with that. But what he did was he said, that's the first stage. So now we have final, a kind of final justification later. Well, yeah, he, he talks about final salvation through works. Yep. So you have an, an initially, you, so you're you're out on bond, you're out on bail, but you're not you're not ultimately finally saved. You're out on bond, and you still have to come back for a hearing, and uh, you're at, at your last hearing, you're going to be saved, at least in part, though he doesn't always say this through your good works. Uh, Desiring God Ministries tweeted out notoriously some years ago, uh, you are not saved through faith alone, period. Be killing sin, period. So his view, he, even though he writes a critique of N.T. Wright, his view is in one sense very similar to N.T. Wright's. In, in some respects, yeah. It's not, it's not ultimately uh, fundamentally different because... Uh, because because he got the two stages. And this is the thing. So people always come back to me. But he says justification by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Great. That's only stage one. That's like Doug Wilson, You the, the federal vision. You get stage one. And if people only focus on stage one, well, then it sounds fine. But what about stage two? And, the, and that's the problem. We don't, in Protestant theology, in Reformed theology, we don't have two stages. Excellent. Yep. That's, and, that's and a if, great way to put so it. So if you've got a two-stage system, so that, for example, as, as one uh, notable Reformed theologian has said uh, repeatedly, Romans 2.13 is about, uh, about the spirit-wrought sanctity in the believer, whereby finally he's accepted with God. And that's just nonsense, right? And so anytime you have a two-stage system, you've got a problem. And so watch out for anybody who's talking about two stages. And there are some good people I know who talk about two stages, and it's just a, it's a serious mistake. Um, some of it's because people don't know our system, right? There are people, there was a movement in Reformed theology in the 70s that uh, was parallel to some of what goes on in dispensationalism. You know, uh, there are notable dispensationalists who say that they're going to preach a passage or, or um, you know, as if nobody's ever uh, read or, or preached this passage before. Right. Right. That's called biblicism. There was a lot of biblicism in Reformed theology in the 1970s. Okay. We lost track of our, our tradition, our catechisms, our confessions and our older theologians and their vocabulary. And we started over from scratch. And frankly, we did a, a pretty miserable job of it. Okay. So part of my job is to get people reconnected with our older writers and our, our confessions, our catechisms, so that we don't make dumb mistakes like this. So you mentioned dispensationalism. Yeah. I've found it to be true that oftentimes in dispensationalists, they, in dispensationalism, they don't like to do the, they don't understand the do this and live thing. Um, but they don't, because they don't, dispensationalism isn't grounded in the Reformation. It isn't grounded in historic Christian theology. I tell my students, you can either be a dispensationalist or, or a historic Christian. You can't be both. Because dispensationalism is a novel system from the first part of the 19th century. Um, that is intentionally cut off from the tradition of the church, right? So there's a difference between living in the Christian tradition and being organically connected to it, growing out of it, reforming it, 
and and being something that's utterly separate. And dispensationalism is utterly separate. And ABC's one, two, three's baby steps in understanding the Bible as it would relate to Reformed theology, Protestantism would be law gospel distinction, mm-hmm. do this and live. These are some very basic things that yeah. we should be knowing from the very beginning, right? That's right. And and uh, and to our shame, right? We hid our light under a bushel for a long time. Okay. Tragically. So what would you say to someone who doesn't understand this and doesn't want to understand it and they're a preacher? I'll pray for you. Okay. I, all I can do is pray for that person, pray for the Holy Spirit to convict their heart and change their mind. If, if somebody says, I don't want, I, I'm done with you. I love you. God love you. Get out of the pulpit. Don't do any more harm than you've already done. And I'll pray that God, the Holy Spirit, convicts you, makes you miserable and drives you to your knees so you'll find out how desperately you personally need Jesus and how desperately your people need Jesus, and then maybe you'll be fit to be in the pulpit. But until then, you're not—and I say this about myself. I, I, in some ways, was not fit to be in the pulpit. I, I, you know, um, I denied my people in some ways uh, for, for way too many years, or the people that were hearing me preach, uh, the, the confidence and the assurance that comes from the gospel— uh, because I, I had these things muddled. So if you say, this is new to me and I'm I'm struggling, fine, I get that. Let's right. talk. that's good. Yep. But if you say to me, I don't want to know, then all I can do is pray for you and pray that God convicts you because and, you're obviously a stubborn uh, stubborn man and you're impenitent and, and arrogant. <laughs> there you go. Well, here on the Pactum, we, li- we love pastors. We love the church, uh, Christ's bride, but we also... And we love the sheep. We, we love the sheep. And so I would say to those of you who are listening, if your pastor doesn't understand the covenant of works, if he doesn't understand the, di- the distinction, if he doesn't understand do this and live, try to help him. And pastors, those of you who are listening, I'm not trying to throw rocks at you. I want to support you, but we've got to get this right because it just leads to abuse. It leads to confusion. It doesn't lead to honoring Christ. And we need to be clear about that. And you're not, yeah, so you're not helping your people. And I know you want to help your people, Pastor, and uh, that's why you're doing this. And you you, you want to minister to them. And you didn't. You never got this in school. I understand that. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but but you can get this. You can learn this, and you should learn this. And it is liberating and oh. freeing and empowering and motivating, oh. and will change your preaching forever. Absolutely. Yeah. You won't always get it right, but you'll have a framework within which to work and to preach and teach. And you'll you'll have a way of going at 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 all of the all of Scripture in some way or other that will help you, and if nothing else, it will keep you from doing serious damage. Scott, I'm so grateful that we were able to sit down and do this. It's going to be a great episode. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. Thank you so much for doing it. I am happy to be here. So, God love you. If you want to connect with Scott Clark, you want to know more. You want to be. Connected with him, you can find him on Twitter at rscottclark, correct? Until they throw me off, yes. Or getter at rscottclark. Yeah. You can find <laughs> yeah. him there. Just or in case they do throw me off. Heidelblog.net. Any other places where you want them to reach out to you? Nope, that's it. Heidelblog.net. Okay, and then I'll post in the show notes your personal email and phone number <laughs> and address. <laughs> no, I, you don't have to do that. Every Nigerian prince already has There my you email. go. These are my emails. So. I want to say thank you for listening to the Packet today. We love being loved and we love loving. We love the truth. We love the Lord Jesus Christ because he loved us first. If you want to be in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at the Pactum, Getter at the Pactum, Instagram at the Pactum Theology, or the Pactum.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Pactum. Pactum.